we only had the two old old horses and they had plenty of space so I, I kind of took over a little bit of their grazing land and started these big gardens or just was planning all these different so things like how did you know how to do all this stuff I didn't I didn't know anything I just no I just started you're listening to the good dirt podcast This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. This is Emma. I'm here by myself today to introduce this episode that's actually just, it's not really a solo show because it involves my mom and I, but it's just us two. No interview guest this week. Anyways, lots of things happening at Lady Farmer. We have the retreat coming up. We are launching this online community that we're really excited about called The Almanac. It'll be a subscription-based seasonal guide to slow living. And really just a strong, vibrant community of people looking for healthier alternatives, more sustainable alternatives, and just seeking slow and simplicity in their life. And my mom and I are there to guide you and to develop awesome content. We're no experts at all, and we're definitely not perfect, but we do love community and we love meeting all of you and so we're just really excited about this next little arm of our business. All of this might have something to do with why we've been thinking about Lady Farmer and our own journey in general, both personally and with the business. So I thought it might be a good idea to sit down and have my mom talk really candidly about her own journey to like a homestead or lady farmer lady out on a farm. (laughs) So the purpose of our sharing her story today is really just to stress the fact that anyone, anywhere can be a lady farmer. It's a lifelong journey and truly one that is never actually complete. In our own experience, what we've found is that it all boils down to decisions. Every day, all of our lives is full of decisions. Some really big most really, really small, but all of them having some sort of impact on our own mental and physical health, on our communities, and ultimately on our planet. My mom and I envision a world where we are all empowered with the wisdom and strength of the lady farmer, the female archetype who cultivates a better world, and we are here to support you in this journey of decision-making your way into this more peaceful beautiful, circular, regenerative, and ultimately sustainable world, whoever and wherever you are. 
We'd love to know where you are in your journey, what decisions you're struggling with, parts of your life where you're searching for more peace and connection, your desires, your yearnings, your questions around living more slowly and the never-ending search for more sustainability in our own lives and in the world at large. So make yourself a cup of tea or if you're driving, you know, relax and let my mom's really calm and soothing and comforting voice uh, comfort you and hopefully inspire you. And I'm just so happy to share this with you all. So, where are we? Let's tell everyone about where we're sitting. (laughs) Okay. We are in this tiny little part of the attic that's kind of, it's kind of like a big closet, actually. Mm -hmm. It's got books. It's got all the children's books. It's got clothes, um, old pictures. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's. I guess it's our attic. Okay, so yeah, so we are in the attic area of the farmhouse. Yeah. That you got <laughs> <laughs> after a lifetime of dreaming about a farm. Yes. So I think I think what would be really interesting for people to hear about is like what we're doing up here and how we got here and why we're recording this right now. Okay. So did you always want to farm? I did, for as long as I can remember. I remember when we were kids and, you know, driving around in the car, like going on vacation or whatever. My mom would always make Dad pull the car over and exclaim over these beautiful views. And we would always like, oh, Mom, you know, whatever. But... I really, I really came to appreciate like landscape and like just looking out on nature, looking at our trees and space and expanse and. And tell them where this was. You were in East Tennessee. Yeah, East Tennessee in the mountains of Appalachia, South Southern Appalachia. Um, so um, I grew up in the mountains. I grew up looking at the mountains and running around the hills and all that. And uh, I, I grew up really spending just all the time outside. We ran around all the time in and out of the, the valley, the creek, across the fields. We just were pretty footloose and fancy free as kids. And as long as we showed up at the end of the day, everything was okay. So fast forward to your adult life and you can actually make your own decisions about where you want to live and what you want to do, did you want to farm? Like, let's say, let's fast forward to, like, your early 20s. What were you like then? Well, I went to graduate school. I was living in cities, apartments, and it just was a whole different thing. You were pretty health conscious, though. Yes. I was very interested in food and health. And so then life sort of took me in all these different directions. And um, I lived in, you know, big cities suburbs yeah so let's go to the suburbs so you were like in like when you started having me and my brothers you were like what in your 30s yeah late 20s 30s and we 
lived in a smallish town, but pretty pretty quickly we moved to Atlanta and lived in the suburbs of Atlanta. And it was when we first moved there, we were, we were really attracted to the area because it was very out. It was very rural. Um, there was lots of space. There was lots of open land. There was lots of wooded land. But this was the early 90s, and very quickly, before our very eyes, it came down, just just started coming down, down, down for shopping centers, subdivisions. Um, this was the boom. This was the dot-com boom, and land in um, the, the outskirts of Atlanta was fairly inexpensive, and it just transformed before our eyes, like every year, the whole landscape looked really, really different. Um, it made me really sad. I feel like it really affected me deeply um, to see all the woodlands coming down, to see all the shopping centers coming up. The fact that we had to drive cars to go everywhere. I walked. I always, I always liked to walk. That was a theme of my whole life, and I did. I did walk. I walked around the neighborhoods and stuff. But I really craved, craved nature. In a really big way. Oh, I'll, I'll interject here too. I have a memory of you in that like time in the like late '90s, living still in the suburbs. You were like always on a quest for your. I don't know if it was like a farm specifically. It was definitely like a nature house. Yeah. It was like you always wanted to get a house that was closer to the river, where you could just walk out the back door and like be on the river. We were like always, always, always look, go, driving to places to look at places, or like we would drive up to North Georgia to look at places in the mountains. You like almost sent us to the school in the mountains because yeah. you like wanted to move there. Yeah, it was this, it was it this was quest. quest. Yes. It was a quest. It truly was a quest. And for us, it was always like, oh, mom's just like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, we ended up being in our perfectly nice suburban neighborhood for 13 years, and it was... Yeah, Did you feel great. like you were, like, sacrificing yourself for your family? No, it wasn't that. It was just this, it was just this yearning. It was a yearning. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, like, just always, always just thinking about that, you know, what it, what it, what was I looking for? And I, it was an immersion, it was an immersion experience. Um, that you were looking for. Yeah. And were there were there ever places in your life where you like felt like you got that? Like were there any you know activities we did? I guess we could I guess like we went camping a lot. Yeah, we went camping a lot and um the mountains um and then I would you know go home to see my parents where I grew up. That was a that was a connection with that where I'd grown up and the environment. Well, tell me about like your relationship with like food at this point. Like, did you find connection to like the land and nature through food? Were you aware of that? When we we were living, you know, in the in the '90s, you guys were growing up. Everybody had their activities. Everybody, um, you know, we were really busy and all that. Um, and that was the those were the years that they had the food pyramid that said, you know, you know, everybody needs to be eating all these servings of grains and low fat. And I was going by that. We're really trying to eat right, you know, whatever right was. Yeah. A lot of convenience food. Mm -hmm. 
So we just sort of were like thought we were following the rules. Though I will say that you did try to buy organic. Like you always had that in you. And you were shopping at like Whole Foods and stuff before it was like. Yeah, we got a Whole Foods somewhere like in there. Like we would like go out of our way and. But anyway, it wasn't until I have a distinct memory of, um, and this was what, 2000 something. Your older brother had actually been to college. And he came home, and he said, there's a book you all need to read. And um, it was Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And this was after we moved to D.C., right? Yeah, we were in D.C. by this time. So just for some backstory, in the middle of, when I was in the middle of high school, we moved from suburban Atlanta to Washington, D.C., to the city. So we were living in a house in the city. It was yeah. very different. We downsized the house. There, there wasn't even room for all five of us, really, in that tiny house. Um and it was so fun. I had fun. We loved it. We loved the city versus the suburbs because we could walk places. And yeah. We were close to stuff. It was, was a whole really different vibe. Change. And it was like, it was close to the river. Yeah. And I had marvelous places to walk. And so a couple things happened. We had a farmer's market that was a couple blocks away. That actually just opened like right after we got there, right? Right. It was it, like new or even opened after we got there. Just right about the same time it started. Yeah. So this is 2000. Seven. Seven. And so we would walk up there on Sunday mornings and, you know, we got to know the farmers and the food and it was just this whole other world that I was just totally drawn to. We were, and we started just thinking about food in a different way and cooking differently. And then I read that book. We both read it, your dad and I, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and it it really, really taught us some things about, you know, paying attention to, you know, where food's grown, how it's grown. <clears throat> Do you remember if that was before or after? You told a story on a, actually a recent interview that we did of Dad bringing home a clamshell of raspberries. Mm-hmm. Was that before or after you guys read the book? It's all during, like, this, I don't know. I can't remember the exact chronology. Okay. But, um... I do remember that very clearly, like, you know, he came home from the store and there was a clamshell, <clears throat> a very small clamshell of raspberries. And it was like February. It was like February. And it wasn't even like, it was like enough raspberries to like go in your palm of your hand or something and they was like $6 or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I said, you know why, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need to do this and his response was like, if we want some raspberries, then we should be able to get raspberries because they're there. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, um, no, no, we, we shouldn't be able to get raspberries in February and this is not right. And they're, they've been shipped a long way in plastic and they're not fresh and um, there's something not right about this. And something sort of clicked for me then that, hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you shouldn't be able to eat raspberries any old time you want. You should wait. You should eat raspberries when they're in season. So that, you know, things just started shifting, shifting, shifting. So this is, we were in D.C. You guys read this book. You yeah. had the, the raspberry revelation. The raspberry revelation. <laughs> farmer's market. I remember, too, you guys kind of, like, really into the farmer's market, like, really getting to know a lot of the vendors. Mm-hmm. Y'all are still in touch with at least the fish vendor, and we've been getting our salmon from him. Yeah. For 
seven, eight years now. Yeah, maybe. Nine, <clears throat> yeah years. longer than that. Gosh, oh, oh, yeah. 13. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I would say at least 10 years. Yeah. Traveler, Salmon and Sable, shout out. Yeah. Anyways, the point of that being you guys were really invested in such a way that you formed really, like, real relationships with these farmers and vendors. And it was, you know, a weekly ritual. You guys would walk mm-hmm. down. Wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it for anything. And then around that time, I feel like you guys also got really interested in regenerative farming and grass-fed. Yeah. And so we, I would drive out on in, in the summertime. I would drive out from our home in D.C. out out here to where we are now because there are a lot of pick-your-own-farms. And, and I would get... Pick-your-own-berries and stuff. I would get the berries, the apples, the um, whatever produce was around, and I would do this almost every weekend, and come out. It was about a you know, thirty forty five minute drive. At one point, it was in June. It was a beautiful June day, and I was coming to get blueberries at the organic blueberry farm, just right up the road from where we live right now. And I thought there must be something for sale out here <laughs> I bet there is and um oh, I'll interrupt you when you were like doing this when you were um driving out here because I remember you do it quite frequently were you thinking like I really wish I lived out here or I want to live somewhere like this or like what was your feeling like why why did you keep coming out here I was just I was drawn to it I was drawn to it just like you know like I had been all my life you know mm-hmm. the the space and the you know the land and the just the rural feel of it mm-hmm. and um, I think it just hit me one day hey you know maybe you know maybe we could live out here maybe there's something for sale out here maybe we should look around out here and um, we did we looked and there was this funny little farmhouse for sale and we bought it <laughs> yeah. yeah that's actually it sounds like a really short and condensed version but it actually really was kind of like that it kind of was it kind of was it was crazy like it was like it was like you weren't looking for it like you weren't meaning to do it but it also like and it didn't seem to make sense on paper at all but it just sort of like made sense like it was like yep this is the farmhouse I don't know so now you bought this farmhouse and so dad actually he's still working in the city so his commute actually got longer but it was worth it I think for him for the lifestyle yeah. And you just moved out to this, like, we're not exaggerating, like, falling down, decrepit yeah. farmhouse where the fence, there wasn't a real fence, and there were two antique living horses that were abandoned. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of these things. And you just sort of, like, moved in. There was a ghost. There was a ghost. Yeah, it's like a, I feel like I'm playing. Yeah. I did. I feel, I feel like it's a playground. Yeah. I did from the very first we got here. And we only had the two old, old horses and they had plenty of space. So I, I kind of took over a little bit of their grazing land and started these big gardens or just was planning all these different things. So you things. just like, how did you know how to do all this stuff? I didn't, I didn't know anything. I just, no, I just started. Yeah. <laughs> But why did you, how did you get your information? You too, girl. <laughs> and did you like read any books? Did you follow any people specifically? 
Um, I do remember I watched uh, Paul Gauchy um, has a, a movie. I think it's called The Re- Return to Eden Garden or the Back to Back to the Garden of Eden or something like that. And it's about how he created this um, this beautiful food forest by using wood chips. And so that was the first thing I did. I transformed these horse pastures into a garden space by spreading wood chips all over everything. Because that kept all the grass down and all the... And started... You got chickens and guinea hens? Yeah, chickens, guinea hens, um... A couple years into it, we got sheep, um, bees, bees, ponies. So for the most part, just for anyone who's curious, we definitely eat the eggs from the chickens. Mm-hmm. We also have a rotating cast of chickens because there's yeah. a lot of predators around. <laughs> so the first set, we like named them all, and it was cute, and we've stopped naming them. Um, we are not skilled beekeepers ourselves, but we have always had been lucky to know beekeepers in the area that are always happy to come take care of bees of the hives Mm -hmm. in exchange for a share of the honey. So that's great. And then the ponies and the horses, well, unfortunately the two antique horses have since passed rest in peace. Shatan and Ramona. Rita. Rita. Shatan and Rita. Um, but the, you know, the horses really help with, you know, they graze, they eat the grass and they, they eat bugs and they poop and then we have manure for the garden. And so basically the point of all of this is that it's not really, we don't really, you know, there's not commercial farming. It's definitely much more small scale homesteading. And for most, the bulk of our food, and I keep saying our, but I really mean you and dad, the bulk of the food comes from a local CSA, which is community-supported agriculture, so it's like a farm membership. Um, but I would say, I mean, every time I come here, I'm always eating pretty much only food that's from the CSA, wine from the winery down the road, or, you know, fruit or herbs or veggies that were grown in your garden. So you guys eat, like, super close to home, and it's really, really cool. Yeah, and it... It really, pardon the pun, it really grows on you once you start eating that way, or for me anyway. It makes me, you know, I don't like to eat out anymore. Um, it used to be like just, you know, part of life. You'd go mm-hmm. out and eat and go to dinner or whatever, and I don't even, it's not that I feel like I shouldn't. It's like I don't want well, to. Well, y'all hardly go to the grocery store. Yeah, barely. Do you say even though you eat like way higher quality food, like, do you feel like you spend more money on food, or like how is your, could, do you have an idea, like your food budget? should probably make a spreadsheet or something and and compare the cost but we do pay for this farm membership this csa um but it's everything it's a full diet csa you get your you know your produce uh meat eggs yogurt kefir grains beans and milk raw milk and um i i i do believe that with all of that that we get there at the CSA that we do spend less money. Is um is it overwhelming to have all of that beautiful fresh food every week? It's a commitment. It is you have to decide that you're willing to take the time to make use of the food so it didn't go bad. 
you have to decide you have to want to do that and you have to realize that what you're trading like what would you be doing if you weren't preparing a meal would you be going out to get already prepared food you know would you be doing some other activity and then getting fast food scrolling the internet (laughs) yeah what what would you be doing instead of the very basic fundamental activity of, of preparing good food for yourself I have a question. This might be hard. Yeah. So this is obviously, as a, as is described, a, has been a lifelong journey. And perhaps it has all happened in its perfect timing, as everything does. Do you think that you would have, this kind of life would have been really feasible, like with three young kids? And like, like, what do you think that would have been like had you had this opportunity to like have a CSA and have this land with like when we were all in middle school and high school? Yeah, I... I Sometimes I just really wish that you guys could have been raised this way, but, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't. I mean, that wasn't the path. So, you know, I don't know. There's, there, there's, there's really no point in saying, oh, you know, we should have done it differently. We, you know, we, we, we followed our, we, we followed where the road led us. And well, I guess my question is, what yeah. isn't, what do you have done differently? But like, do you think it's possible? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I do think about like, what if your all's activities had been, um, instead of like going here and there for all the, you know, the dance and the music and the acting and all that was, you know, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. But you know, what if you'd each had your, your, your animals to take care of or your horse to ride or your, you know, maybe you would have been interested in chickens or growing things or whatever. I mean, it could have been that way too, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What do you think about that? I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, I don't have kids yet either, but I mean, I even have a hard time sometimes like meal planning and meal prepping. And like, I literally have no excuses. Like, I should be able to, I mean, I'm only responsible for myself right now. So like I should be able to take whatever time I need, you know, to eat like perfectly well. And I just, it's really, it is totally hard. It's really hard. And so, I mean, I have friends that have like a bunch of kids and they eat really well. And I just like mad respect. I just know it's like, it's just a shift in priorities and it's kind of an, it's kind of like this homemakey value like home values thing that I feel like we in the like 90s at least when I was growing up like got away from because it was mm-hmm. like more feminist to like not be in the home and like not you know be tied to your space and your homekeeping and now I feel like there's a real like turn towards that especially in a year like this year where everyone's forced to be home um yeah but I don't know I'm kind of learning as I grow older and wiser, but there's something like really gratifying and fulfilling about, you know, making a happy and healthy home. I don't know. I guess my question is just like for the person who might be listening and it's like, oh, well, that's all well and good that you, you know, you, you've decided to commit this time and energy to eating this way and supporting your community in this way, but like, I just don't have time. I don't know. I totally could relate to that person. So I think the 90s was a time when you were very, very supported in making decisions that had to do with convenience. 
the culture really supported that. And I remember specifically, you know, no one worried about what, what the kids ate. The conventional wisdom was, oh, they, you know, you guys would get what you needed. Didn't really matter. You know, whatever it was, you'd do fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we thought, you know, okay, we believed it. And you just, just feed them whatever, just get by, you know, just do what helps you get by. Do what helps you get through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. And there's just, there was permission all over the place to cut corners and fast food and convenience food and packaged food, processed food. And I, I think it's different now. People have different awareness and sensibility. And therefore different priorities. Yeah. And so much coming out now about um, about real, real ways that science is showing us how the processed foods are are affecting us as a as a population, not only as individual kids with, you know, allergies and conditions and all this other stuff, but as a whole population. Mm-hmm. So things have definitely involved evolved there. There's the overall awareness of it. And um, and when you when you do start paying attention to to that, then your lifestyle has to change. It, yeah. You have to make time. There's, there's really there's, no choice. You're not, yeah, yeah the, it's not, I mean, the, I mean, the alternative isn't like, it's like not a question, right? Yeah. It's not that good food can't be simple. Right. It's not that. Right, that's a good point. You just have to, um. You have to be a little more creative. Aware. Yeah. And you have to decide. Yeah. You just have to decide. I think the point is that. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the clothing or no. any other aspects of really what we've explored at Lady Farmer and what we even started Lady Farmer for. But I think that I wanted to hear you talk about this kind of progression in your own journey because I think it's really helpful for people and also really inspiring, but helpful for people to understand that this kind of lifestyle choice or choices or it is a catalog of different decisions to be making it doesn't just like happen overnight it's very progress like it's a progression progression yeah I was gonna say progressive I guess it is progressive too it's a progression it's an evolution uh and it's like I don't think I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth but like I don't know 15 years ago could you have pictured like this is what you would be doing. Oh, I would have been so delighted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yay. But um, I want to go back and put the whole thing in a context of my whole life. So when I grew up in the, in the 60s and the 70s, I lived in a small town and pretty much everybody had their own garden. Um. Or a lot of people did. I won't say everybody did. And and we didn't have a vegetable garden. My mom always grew flowers and stuff. But enough people had gardens so that there was just always a ton of food around. I mean, you just got it. You know, enough of your neighbors had it. And they had extra tomatoes and squash and all that stuff. And, and my dad's patients paid him in produce. Neighbors would leave bags of stuff on your porch because they didn't know what to do with it beans everybody had a ton of green beans 
And this was just summertime. It was just part of summertime that everybody had a bunch of garden stuff. And so there's a no, really no shortage of like you know, local produce around. And that, that's the way we ate. That's the way everybody ate. And um, I remember, I have a, just a really vivid memory of these, these things starting to pop up. These foods, these things in boxes, a cake mixes, um, instant pasta salad. I remember that one in a box. Um, the, and I always give this example. The Jello one, two, three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would mix it up and it would turn into the three layers through some sort of chemical magic. And we thought we, we were delighted by that. Cool Whip, instant breakfast, um, all these things. I, I remember as they came along and we thought we were also enamored with them because they were quick, they were convenient, they tasted good, they were novel. It was just fun. Um, so, you know, fast forward, um, you know, 50 years and all of this, all of this um, emphasis on convenience and processing and taking more and more away from like, you know, the real food that, that we ate when I was a kid. And, um, I, I just feel like I sort of lived through that, that transition, mm-hmm. um, from, from real food to convenience food. Like it was right in my coming of age kind of paralleled that exactly. Yeah. And your whole, and then your kind of later adult life journey is like going, getting back to the yeah. real food. Right. Yeah. And that has involved a lot of self-educating and making decisions. Oh, yeah. Awareness is everything. And then also educating other people, which is a huge part of what we do at Lady Farmer. And also even outside of Lady Farmer, just, I mean, the amount of people that come through these farmhouse doors and then go sit through the kefir talk. It's amazing. (laughs) So that's another part. That's a podcast for another day. Yeah. The kefir. But yeah. So. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to chat a little bit about your personal journey and sort of how you got here. And is there anything else you want to say in this particular context? Oh, there's so much I could say. We'll just have to, we'll just have to do it again. What's something that you would say to someone who's listening from wherever they are, from the car, in the city, in the suburbs, if they already have a homestead, they just moved out to the farm and they're lost and confused and overwhelmed and, or something's just not fitting with their life and they want to be closer to nature and all the things that you've felt, what would you, what words of wisdom do you have to impart to that person? Oh, just one step at a time, one thing at a time. Just follow your intuition and just, yeah, be steady. Yeah. Be patient. Well, thank you, Mom. Thank you. That was fun. We'll do it again. Yes, soon. Well, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that little chat with Mary. (laughs) We'll do mine next or soon or something. But in the meantime, make sure that you are following us at Lady Farmer. We are Lady Farmer on Instagram. If you're interested in coming to our virtual slow living retreat, it is November 14th and 15th next month. You can get tickets online. We have just such an incredible lineup of workshops and programming. Natalie Channon from Alabama Channon is joining us for a live recording of the Good Dirt podcast. It's going to be amazing. 
Uh, we also have an incredible panel of small business owners and slow livers. Um, slow livers. That sounds funny. People who... Seeking slow living is the name of the panel. Um, so yes, tune in to our retreat programming and also stay tuned for that community, the Almanac, that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Um, anyone who joins us at the retreat will kind of be an inaugural member of this community. And so it's included with your retreat ticket, which is amazing. It's a really incredible deal. Anyways, head to ladyfarmer.com to learn all about the retreat and the almanac and drop us a line at thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and rate and leave a review if you feel so called. Um, we really appreciate it and it helps other people find our little show. All right. Talk to you later, guys. Talk to you later, guys.